Welcome to The Lavender Lifestyle, the podcast on personal growth and lifestyle design. My name's Eileen, and I'm here to guide you to become a master artist of life. Every Sunday, you'll get new insight and inspiration on how to create your dream life. After the episode, the conversation continues in our Lavender Lifestyle Facebook group. I can't wait to see you there. Life is an art. Make it your masterpiece. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Lavender Lifestyle. It's Eileen. Today's episode is perfect for those who are interested in digital media, starting a business, staying motivated, and growing your following. So with us today is Erica Ashley. Erica is a leading millennial business and media strategist and member of the Forbes Coaches Council, featured in Forbes, Nylon, Mind Body Green, Health Magazine, Entrepreneur Before 25, and more. She helps her clients build freedom-based online businesses that impact the lives of thousands of millennials millennials and get featured in major media outlets. Hello, Erica. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah, same. So tell me, how did you get your start in the digital world? It seems like you got your start pretty young. I did. So I was in the ninth or 10th grade. I was about 15 years old. And MySpace was a new thing at the time. It was pretty much the only social network that existed. And I knew how to code because my dad worked in IT and he did a lot of coding stuff. So he taught me some basic things and I got my start in entrepreneurship and really online by designing MySpace layouts for girls in my school. So on Monday, they'd bring me 50 bucks and then I would have lunch money for the week. And on Friday, they (laughs) would have a nice customized MySpace layout. Wow. Wait, I didn't even know you can customize a MySpace layout. (laughs) You totally could. You know, I can't tell you how anymore what the infrastructure looked like in the back, but you could. And so I was like the girl that you came to if you wanted a really customized, like girly MySpace layout. Right. So is it similar to like designing a website? Yeah. So from what I can remember, it was pretty similar. You still had your HTML coding. It's now obviously a lot more complicated um, to code. You know, I can't do any CSS. Well, I can do minimal CSS, but no JavaScript, no Ajax, right. nothing that a complicated developer could do. But I, I know my way around HTML coding. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's pretty cool, though. So you started doing that in high school. And so what was your first like actual job in the digital media world? So my first actual job in the digital media world was helping to put together digital digital presences for, um, at the time, now they're Grammy winners, but at the time they were emerging bands. So I worked Mm -hmm. with and in collaboration with a major label that was starting to get a couple of artists that had some really big presence at the time. And they were looking for someone who understood social media and it was still new and I had a pretty big following at the time on Tumblr and a decent following on Twitter, which back in Mm -hmm. 2009, 2010 was really the ones that counted. So, uh, yeah, so I was paid sometimes in, you know, sometimes in money, but sometimes in concert tickets and uh, certain extra perks to establish people's social media presence. That's cool. And how did you get that job? Was it because like they, you went to them or did they find you somehow online? Uh, It was a little bit of both. So as a teenager and then 
early into my 20s. I was really big into online communities and online forums. And at that particular stage of my life in my late teens, early 20s, I was really into music and specifically into those like pop punk bands that were kind of really big in the, you know, 2008 through about 2012 Mm -hmm. period and so I was really really into those forums so they were looking at who was active they were looking at you know who is regularly engaging with the band who were you know who is going to shows things like that and because at the time the label that I worked with a lot and the artists that I was working with a lot were more indie. It was kind of more of a family vibe. They didn't have the, you know, the same huge corporate type of structure that they have now where things were really heavily produced. I mean, social media was new, so it was pretty organic and it felt very much like a family. Mm-hmm. So it was a little bit of me, a little bit of them. And uh, yeah, they, they approached me and um, we took it from there. Okay. And then how did that evolve into what you're doing now? So I, um, after I'd kind of done all of that, I took a little bit of a break from working for other people and I had a beauty and fashion blog that no longer exists, but (laughs) I, um, went a little bit into influencer marketing and like that whole space for a while. And I really got my start into my current business in 2015. So I found myself pretty much on borrowed time. I was diagnosed as an 18-month-old with juvenile rheumatoid arthritis, and the doctors told my Mm. parents that I would likely get to a point where I would be in a wheelchair and I wouldn't be able to walk, but um, both through like my own personal grit to not make that happen and invest, you know, investments in science and advances in science. New medications were developed that allowed me to walk, but my left hip got so bad that I was on the wait list for hip replacement and I had to quit my job. I, you Mm. know, was partially bedridden. I could basically only you know, get up to go to the bathroom, and then I would have to be back in bed because I was in so much pain. So my business really developed out of necessity and out of needing to make money because I no longer had my job. Wow. So even when you were going through this really tough health struggle, you were still trying to work and start a business. I mean, that's pretty amazing. Yeah. So because I couldn't really move, I couldn't get a job that required me to go into an office. I mean, I was doing PR and advocacy coordinating for a not-for-profit, which I really loved and I was really, really happy doing, but I couldn't do it anymore. So happy accident, I said, okay, I know that it's possible to make money online because I've done it before, you know, either as an influencer Mm -hmm. or something else, like, let me see what I can take from the skills that I have, you know, through almost a decade of work at that point in, you know, in the real world, and how can I apply this to the digital space? And so then I started finding communities online where there was all of these incredible women building businesses. And I said, okay, I can really, you know, I can really do this. I can turn this into something. Wow. So you kind of created it out of nothing or just out of your like, what can I bring to to this market, which is pretty cool. Yeah, exactly. I just really looked to see, you know, what I could do. So I built it out of necessity. But then I also looked at, okay, what are other people, you know, what are other people doing right now? What are some gaps that I might be able to fill in the market? And how can I take skills Mm -hmm. that I've learned, you know, in different jobs over the last 10 years and really bring those online? Because one of the things that I realized really quickly was that unlike the, you know, offline space where everyone really cares about what college degree you've gotten or 
what on you know what on the job experience you've had in the digital space there was women doing all kinds of stuff some of which had nothing to do with their degrees so I realized that people were invested in you and your story really early on into the process and that was just so helpful and so inspiring and motivating for me yeah I mean let's talk about how how did you stay motivated when you were bedridden and trying to start this business like did you feel defeated at times did you doubt yourself I'm sure it wasn't easy yeah it definitely wasn't easy I mean you have to go through the fear of okay I have to have a major surgery in my case, I was having a hip replacement. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I didn't know what that was going to be like. I was really afraid that it was going to be a difficult recovery. You know, you always fear something's going to go wrong. And being, you know, bedridden, I had just moved for this job and to start my PhD. So I didn't really have any friends either. Um, So I found that something that was really helpful was when staying connected to friends that, you know, I had made over the course of my studies and over the course of my job through, you know, Skype and FaceTime. So I would FaceTime my old roommate from when I was living in Montreal pretty much every single week. And we would just have conversations and she would tell me about what was going on with her, what was going on with our friend group. You know, it made me feel connected, even though we weren't in the same physical space. And I also really turned a lot to meditation and to journaling, especially in order to keep my spirits up because I could journal if I wasn't feeling good and I could journal about what life was going to be like and how amazing life was going to be, you know, after this particular chapter was closed and I had my operation and I was, you know, all recovered. Yeah. So I wanted to also mention something else that you said earlier that you realized that you could create this business and work online without having any like degree or credentials in that area, which is so true for the world we live in today. So for listeners out there who maybe they want to start a business similar to this, or they want to just do something, but they're like, oh, I don't, I'm not ready. I don't have the training. What would you say to them? I would say that you can do anything that you want, as long as you have the motivation to be able to do it. So Now I work, you know, helping women, you know, much like you who are successful and want to get their story out to more people to make more of an impact and also to increase their income through publicity and media. So I help them with that as a publicist, but my degree doesn't say public relations. I have two degrees in art history and was working towards my third But I looked at everything that I had done, you know, as extracurricular activities, all the things that I love doing. Um, I looked at some of the jobs that I had. A lot of my jobs had involved writing and publishing and either listening to pitches or writing pitches as well. So I knew, okay, I might not have the traditional, you know, public relations background, but I can read a textbook. So definitely make sure that you educate yourself in whatever field you're Mm -hmm. hoping to go into or, you know, read blogs, read textbooks, um, watch YouTube videos. Obviously, YouTube is an amazing resource Mm -hmm. and, you know, figure it out and then find models of people who have done what you want to do in really untraditional, you know, untraditional ways. So for me, a lot of the publicists that I looked up to and really admired were people who didn't have a public relations background either, but had been successful. They were working in, you know, advertising Mm -hmm. or some of them were working in the STEM field and they managed to transition into a totally different career. So find people who are doing something similar to what you're doing that have that non-traditional educational background so that 
you can start to model their success. Yeah. I love that because basically it's, I mean, with the internet, we're so empowered. You really can go like study anything you want and go like just if you're interested in a field, just go out there, learn it and find someone who's doing it and follow what they're doing. Yeah, exactly. Like we've never had the opportunity to be able to learn or to pick up new things the way that we do now. I mean, that's why I love YouTube so much is you can type anything into YouTube, you know, even if it's how can I write a pitch to get on a podcast? How can I, you know, Mm -hmm. how can I increase my Instagram following? How can I learn to meditate? Um, How can I, you know, journal? What are some creative journaling prompts? You can type anything into Google and you can type anything into YouTube and you can find an answer. We've never had more access to information than we have now, which makes being an entrepreneur and starting your own business so much easier than it's ever been. Yeah, very true. So now I want to kind of pick your brain on your job and how you coach these women who are starting their businesses. Because I'm sure a lot of my listeners, they want to grow their following. They want to get media. So what are some like quick tips that you can give, like some immediate, like some things we can start with? Mm -hmm. So the number one thing that I tell people is you need whatever you're doing, you need to be passionate about it and you need to be clear about where it is that you want to go. So whether you want to be a speaker and you want to be writing books and you want all of that, or if you want to do something that's really creative and you know that you want to be playing in Photoshop all day, figure out the things that you love and the things that you're actually good at and find a way to intersect all of those passions together. So for me, um, I love to read. I love to write. I'm really, really obsessed with stories and I love to consume blog content. I love consuming digital media. So for me, doing what I do just makes complete sense along with my professional background. But I have clients who their entire business is teaching people how to use Instagram for, you know, for profit. And I have people who are speakers. And for all of these women, they're just doing what they're really, really passionate about. And so it can be something like I'm really passionate about Instagram. I would love to build up my own community. I would love to, you know, do what another influencer is doing. You really have so much opportunity, but it really starts at that area of passion. And any tips on, so aside from passion, what, what is another tip that you can give? So I would definitely say to pick a specific niche or angle. And this is something that a lot of people have resistance to, which is normal because, oh my goodness, I'm so passionate about travel, but I also love health and I also love fashion and I also love uh, 22 other things. Human beings are complex. Mm -hmm. So for anyone who is listening, that's totally normal that you might not want to pick one idea and focus on it. But I always say that you can change what you're doing once you've established yourself, but it's important that you establish with some foundation. Yes. And the other tip that I would give is just get started because you can never grow if you don't start. But even if yeah. you know you start and your graphics aren't perfect or your photos aren't perfect or you're not the world's best writer or the world's best editor, it really doesn't matter what matters. And at the end of the day, what you need to remember is figuring out the impact and figuring out why you're doing this and always having that be kind of your North Star or your compass that guides you so that 
even on days where you're, you know, you feel bad or you get stuck in a comparison cycle, you can remember why you're doing it and that can help you, you know, stay motivated and really push yourself forward. I love it and I totally agree. So, you also write a lot for like various media outlets. So, I'm curious, how do you network with all of these different people and do you have any stories for people who want to get into that? Sure. So if you're looking to get into any kind of writing, there's really two things that I recommend. Um, Number one is following journalists on Twitter. Twitter is kind of where all journalists and all editors seem to hang out there and LinkedIn, but they love (laughs) to be on Twitter because it's a place where people are always talking about what is happening in the world. And writers and editors are really, really approachable. It can seem kind of scary, you know, whether it's Forbes or Refinery29 or, you know, Good Morning America. It doesn't really matter what the media outlet is. At the end of the day, we're all just people and people love to talk to other people. Mm. They love to interact. And so talking to them, liking what they're posting, saying, you know, I loved this article Uh, retweeting their stuff will really go a long way to making some Mm. of those foundational connections. And then the second thing that I would recommend is starting with places that are easier to get into. So what I tell anyone who wants to start developing a writing portfolio and who wants to start to contribute to publications is to start with Thrive Global, which is Ariana Huffington's new project. She used to mm. obviously run Huffington Post, but she doesn't anymore. So that's a pretty easy one to get into because as long as you have a good idea, as long as you know you can write a sentence that coheres, and as long as you follow their guidelines, which are pretty easy and you know they're really specific about how they want you to format things you're almost guaranteed to get your article published and so once you can publish one or two articles there that can give you some leverage to start to show okay this place published me so I can start to write for here or there and the second place that has been really really helpful for me to find like one-off gigs or one-off places to write is a Facebook group called The Binders So the Binders is a community full of women and gender non-conforming people who are all, you know, driven by their passion to write. So there's a couple for freelance writers, freelance editors, people like that. And if there's constantly, you know, editors, journalists looking for people to pitch them stories and people who they're going to pay to write stories. So if you're looking to get started, those are two really great things to do. All right. Thank you. That was really helpful. I will link those places in the show notes for everyone listening. All right, it's time for a break with our sponsor, Lola. Lola is a female-founded company offering a line of organic cotton tampons, pads, and liners. You might not know that major feminine care brands use a mix of synthetic ingredients in their products like rayon and polyester, and their products might also be treated with harsh chemicals, fragrances, and dyes. The FDA doesn't require these brands to disclose a full list of ingredients in their products, so most of them don't. Scary, right? That's why I'm proud to use Lola. Lola products are 100% organic cotton with no added chemicals, fragrances, synthetics, or dyes. It puts my mind at ease using products that are clean and responsibly sourced, especially since they're in such close contact with my body. I also love that it's a subscription that delivers straight to your door, so it's super convenient. If you want to try out Lola, you can get 40% off your subscription by visiting mylola.com and entering the promo code LAVENDARE when you subscribe. That's M-Y-L-O-L-A dot com with the promo code LAVENDARE. 
So yeah, you seem like you're always plugged into social media and this whole digital world. Are you online 24-7 or do you have kind of a balance in your life? So I have a little bit of a balance. The number one thing that helps me, and this is a really great resource, to stay connected on what's going on in the news and what I need to know is a free email newsletter called The Skim. And I love that because it's like getting an email from your girlfriends, but with whatever is happening in the world that day. So that allows me to really stay connected. And then I schedule social media into my day. So I plan my content at the beginning of the month and then I write up like all the different posts that I'm going to do. And if I'm going to, let's say, go live on Facebook or something like that, um, I'll plan all that content out at the beginning of the month. And then all I need to do is get on social media and post it or schedule it depending on what is happening in my week Mm -hmm. and whether I can actually be physically present or not. But I have, I check in about three times a day and then the rest of my day I'm either meeting with clients, sending pitches, working on other stuff in my business. And I try as best as I can to deconnect by yeah. like 5, 5.30 p.m. and then really just have chill out time every day. That's really good. That's pretty early to like stop your social media time. So you say you schedule it three times a day? Yeah, so I will go on once a day and I'll actually post content. So for myself, my major areas where I can get clients or I post content is on my Facebook page and on LinkedIn. So in the morning, I'll go on and I'll post my content for the day. And then in the afternoon, and right before I'm about to shut off for the day, I'll engage with other people on their posts. I'll respond to anyone who has liked or commented on my post. If anyone sent me a message during the day, I do my best to reply. And I will, you know, really make a priority of, you know, connecting for five or 10 minutes, finding new people that I can introduce myself to, that I can be of service to, in some way. So each specific point in the day, I'm doing something. So in the morning, I'm posting content around lunch times around 1pm, I will, you know, interact with other people, and then I'll connect at the end of the day. That way, my social media, I have a specific intention each time I'm going on, and I don't Mm -hmm. get caught in that endless scroll, because it can be really difficult to practice self-control on social media (laughs) so if you don't I think if you don't schedule it you can really easily fall into that trap of just being on social media all day long exactly I mean it's designed to keep us on it like glued to the screen so so that's pretty impressive I like that you have a different intention for each time you go on social media it's kind of like I'm here for this reason and when I'm done I'm out (laughs) yeah exactly and of course that's not to say that I don't get sucked in especially on Facebook when someone you know shares a really cute video of a panda or they share a dog video like that's it I'm out and I'm probably gonna go down a 45 minute hole of dog videos but it's a worthwhile (laughs) departure and distraction from time to time yeah (laughs) but that's life it happens to everyone (laughs) no one is perfect and that's okay yeah so so while we're on the topic of like your daily schedule I'm curious what is your what does your typical week look like working with different clients I mean just so the listeners can get a feel for what it looks like to work as like a freelancer or like you know coaching women Mm -hmm. so Monday is what I call my flex day so that day I don't meet with any clients I don't 
actively have anything planned in my schedule. And so if someone wants to meet with me, whether that's a prospective client or just someone who wants to connect and do networking, or sometimes just having an opportunity to talk to my biz besties, I do all of that on Mondays. And so if I also too have gotten behind on anything the week before, Monday is the day that I use to catch up. And that really allows me to set myself up for the week. And if I you know, don't have anything that's come up or I don't have any meetings, then I use it to get ahead so that I'm not falling behind by the time it comes mm-hmm. to Friday. Tuesday is the day that I focus on meeting with all of my clients. So all of my clients, I meet with them for 45 minutes. So I'll do 45 minutes, have a 15 minute break, meet with the next client and so on and so forth. So I block all of my clients into one day. Wow. That way I don't have to like get on the phone or switch what I'm doing, you know, 20 times throughout the week. I'm meeting with my clients, you know, pretty much from the morning until the end of my workday. And they, you know, it's consistent. Everyone knows what time that we're meeting at and I can, you know, help them all at the beginning of the week. Wednesday is the day where for my PR clients, I will send out pitches, I'll connect with editors, I'll connect with producers, I'll do research. So Wednesday is really my PR day. Thursday is the day where I meet with my support team. So I have coaches and mentors who are helping me to accomplish specific goals in my business. So that's really the day where I do that and I strategize for what I'm going to do the following week. And then on Fridays, I kind of try to leave that one as flexible as possible. I try not to work on Friday, but if I do work on Fridays, that's usually either connection or um, it's sending out more pitches or sometimes it's supporting clients through a launch. It can be uh, if my clients have like a sales page or content that they want me to review, I'll do that on Fridays because they're, yeah. you know, they're tasks that won't take me as much time. Awesome. I love that you have a theme for each day. I think that's the most like effective way to do it. Yeah, well, because I read a lot of studies and articles at the beginning of my business when I was trying to be as effective as possible. And I realized that w- the way that I had my schedule in the beginning of my business where I didn't have very many boundaries, it set it up so that one, I was working way longer than... I wanted to, and I didn't really have any time for myself. And the second thing is that I was losing so much time switching between tasks. It's a concept called um, context switching. You lose like 20% of your productivity every time that you switch the task that you're doing. So for me, if I'm going to be coaching clients, kind of being in that coach mode is all I'm doing that day. Or if I'm writing pitches, then all Mm -hmm. I'm doing that day is writing, you know, pitches for clients. Or if I'm doing research for new clients who have come in at the beginning of the month, then that's all that I'm doing. And I'm just committed to that so that my brain is only working on that one particular thing or that one particular client so that they really have my full focus and full attention. And that I have found has allowed me to be, you know, as productive as I can possibly be. Yeah, I I totally agree with that. Very smart. So lastly, what advice do you have for listeners out there who want to be like you and do what you're doing? (laughs) Well, you can always get in contact with me. I'm always happy to answer any questions because I know that starting your own business can definitely be a scary proposition. But my biggest advice is just get started. It doesn't matter if you have the nicest website. It doesn't matter if you have, you know, the nicest graphics. It doesn't matter if you have the nicest logo. 
None of those things actually matter. For me, the thing that really made a difference at the beginning of my business and that I recommend to everyone is find Facebook groups for entrepreneurs and start networking with people as soon as possible. So it really doesn't matter what field you're in, whether that's coaching, uh, something more creative like web design, graphic design, or if you want to do something related to meditation, mindset. Uh, education, doesn't matter what field you're in, there's always going to be a group of people on Facebook who have similar interests and who want to help you. So that to me has been the biggest thing is really building out my network. So start talking to people, you know, get to know people. When someone you're listening on a podcast and they say, hey, reach out to me with questions, they're not saying that because they are just saying it to say it. They're saying it to be genuine. So if you hear something like that and you have questions, reach out to people because in my experience, I found that almost everyone has been so open to providing feedback. They've been so open to answering a couple of questions. So really, you know, just take advantage of that and find people who are doing what you want to do and Look at how they got there. Start, you know, finding digital evidence of how they were able to succeed. Find old articles that they posted. Find, you know, posts that they've given with advice, 10 things that they wish they knew at the start of their business or something like that so that you can start to avoid some of those mistakes and you can, you know, you can start to build out that business of your dreams. I love it. Thank you so much. And also, where can listeners find you online? Sure, absolutely. So if anyone wants to find me, you can find me all across social media at the same handle. It's at it's Erica Ashley, or you can find me at my website. It's uh, just ericaashley.co. Awesome. Well, we'll have all the links in the show notes. Thank you so much, Erica. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. It was so much fun. Yeah, same. All right, that's it for today's episode. Thank you so much for listening to The Lavender Lifestyle. If you like this podcast, please show your support by leaving a review on iTunes. It helps us so much and also helps other people find the show. You can also catch me on YouTube and Instagram at Lavender, where I have even more content for the artist of life. Love you all so much. Bye.